Well, morning, everybody. Uh, great to be with you as ever. Um, if you've been here recently, we're in a series called Transform. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a break from that because obviously we've been having dedications today and it's Mother's Day. And so we're going to take a little bit of time out from that series and we want to talk uh, together. Sarah and I are going to do a double act and talk about uh, family. So you're in. Okay, most of you who know us will know that we have four children. Um, our, we have three boys and a girl. Our youngest is called Ben. He's eight years old. We then have Joel, who's 11 years old. Our daughter is very nearly 14. And then we have our eldest, Jacob, who is 15. And I know I, sorry, we don't look old enough. <laughs> How kids young? That old? Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, because so pay. Our, uh, <laughs> Our kids are very different. I often think they're like the four points of a compass in temperament and in character. Um, and Phil obviously works full-time. I work a day a week, and the rest of the time I'm a stay-at-home mum. So that's just a bit of background on us and our family. Okay, so just one or two kind of like comments right at the start. We are not, we're only partway through this. We are not perfect parents. We're not holding ourselves up in that way, and our kids are lovely and wonderful. They're not perfect. And everything we talked about, we're going to talk about today, unless we ad-lib and go totally off course, we've talked to them about and got their permission on. And primarily what we want to talk about is actually what it's like to build a family. So talk about stuff that we're learning rather than things to do with, with them. So just right at the start, just to make a couple of comments. We know that in a room like this today, there are all sorts of different parenting situations. Some of us are parenting you know, on your own, and you have our respect and admiration to have the energy to do that. Others, you know, there's two of you, maybe you're working full-time, both of you, and you're juggling. Um, some of you got little kids, little babies, and you're trying to work out how did this little person bring so much stuff with them that we can't get in our car anymore. Others, you know, your kids are grown up, and they've moved out, and they keep moving back in. I keep hearing about that. And obviously, many of us in the room are not parents at the moment. We might be one day, or we're, we're not in that season for whatever reason. But what we're hoping is that what we talk through today will be applicable to you in whatever season of life you're in um, and whatever scenario you're in right now. And more than anything else, what we want is, you know, more than just kind of like some good tips, what we want is uh, for you to feel God speaking to you uh, as we speak. And so what we want to do today is there's a whole range of things we, we're not going to talk about because we just don't have time. But we're going to talk about some of the main things uh, that we are learning uh, as we try and build a, our family um, as we go forward. If you are a parent in the room today, you will know that the life of a parent is a very busy one. So since last Sunday, just to give you a glimpse into our world, I have cooked meals for a total of 45 people. I've tidied up. I've cleaned some of our house. I've encouraged piano practice. I've nagged piano practice. I've gone to work. I've tidied up some more. I've made a World Book Day costume. I've played battleships. I've played Lego creationery. I've read stories. I've tidied up. I've washed 83 socks. I've attended parents' evening, taxied children to various places, had conversations about fairness and forgiveness, helped resolve conflict, applied for the UN peacekeeping course. <laughs> I didn't really. Um, helped with homework, and I suppose that's just for starters. So although a standard week is busy, it is a real privilege being a mum. There is lots of joy. There is lots of excitement. And I suppose for me, one of the greatest privileges is just seeing their characters develop and seeing their gifts and their talents kind of start to come through. But as well as being a joy, parenting can be a challenge. 
My time is not my own. At one point, we had four, seven children under four. No, four children under seven. And just the concept of personal space was... It felt like seven children under <laughs> four. The concept of personal space was pretty foreign. I think being a parent shows you your character flaws as well as your parenting flaws. Being a parent involves sacrifice. It involves giving and giving and giving. And ultimately, it is a, it is a calling... Sorry, it is a higher calling than the pursuit of my own happiness. Another challenge of being a parent is sometimes it can feel like the time and effort of being a parent is stopping me doing the God stuff. But I think the important thing to remind yourself that actually parenting your children is the God stuff you're supposed to be doing. And I think sometimes as parents we can feel we're not equipped for the challenges that being a parent brings. And that even today, listening to a message on parenting can be uncomfortable because it forces you to consider where you are in your own parenting journey. And I know for a season, in one of the seasons of my life, I stopped reading books on parenting because when I read them, I actually just felt defeated and deflated. I didn't feel inspired to push forward. And our aim today is that you're, you don't walk out feeling like that. You don't walk out feeling inadequate or guilty or exhausted of even the thought of what to do next, but you walk out feeling inspired and equipped and full of fresh vision for your family. Now, unfortunately, when you have kids, they don't come with any rule books or any instruction manual. You buy a watch and you get an instruction manual this thick, right? But you get a baby and it's like, there are no rules, no instructions, and there are no principles. There are no, if you like, kind of A, B, Cs, and you definitely get D. It doesn't work like that as a parent. But the Bible does have principles uh, which can help us apply. And we want to just tell you about some of the main things we are learning and things we've learned mainly from other people, to be honest, most of them we've just nabbed from other people that we really respect. And the first one I wanna, I'm going to talk about is this one. And this title is grabbed from a book called seven, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's quite a famous book. And he, one of his habits is this. He says, begin with the end in mind. One of the most important things I think about being a parent or anybody involved in building a family or, in fact, any aspect of your life is to begin with the end in mind. We believe God gives us children to steward. In other words, they don't belong to us. They're entrusted to us. And the idea is to raise them in order to be able to release them. In other words, to get them ready to be an adult. And one of the things you learn in life, I think, is often the more clarity you get on something, the more hope you have of achieving what you want. So when it comes to kids and families and raising children, I think it makes sense to try and think through what kind of young adult do we want to raise? What are the qualities we want them to have? What are the values we want them to own? So that by the time they leave home, those things are deeply ingrained within them. Proverbs 22 says this, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. In other words, try and think through what is the trajectory, what is the values you want them to own. So we have tried to do that over the last 15 years and try and work out what are the things which are important to us that we want them to own and we want our family culture to own. So here are a few of them. We want our family, our kids, we want to be like this as well because you have to model this. We want our kids to be kind and generous. In other words, they want them, we want them to know that their life is not all about them. You know, we live in a world which is all about what can I get? Actually, we want to grow up, don't we? We want, the, we want to have that kind of Bible thing, which is actually my life is not my own. 
My stuff is not my own. My money is not my own. And we want them to learn it. We want them to be kind and generous. We want them to be courageous and adventurous. We want them to grow up grateful with the capacity to, for joy, not with this kind of sense of entitlement, which is kind of the advertising industry in our world is basically based on the idea of what we don't have and breeding a sense of dissatisfaction. But actually, you want to raise kids who grow up with a capacity for gratefulness and a capacity for joy. We want young people, kids to be resilient and determined. So we live in a world of instant gratification. I want it now. But actually, you and I know that actually to really achieve anything, you've got to do it again, do it again, do it again, and do it again, and keep going. Even when you fail, do it again. That's how you grow and build. We want them to be resilient. And we want them to grow up to be able to take responsibility for their own lives. So those are some of the things, if you like, we think are important values And what you do is you try and identify them, think about them, and then you try and parent towards them. Talk about it, plan for it, model it, encourage it, wherever you see them doing it. Okay? So let me just talk to you about one of them. We want our children to be courageous or adventurous. Now, that doesn't mean I want them to climb Everest necessarily, although that might be fun. It means that I think God has things for them to do, plans, gifts put in with them, and I want them to be able to, like, step out and use them. And often in life, pretty much, we, we all had this experience where we have like a dream or something we'd like to do or gifts that are there within us, but we don't always step into them because we are fearful of what might happen if we fail. We're worried about what other people will think about. We're worried about the embarrassment that will come, and, and we're concerned, and we're fearful. In the story in the Old Testament of David and Goliath, David shows up, Goliath is there shouting at the Israelite army, and the Israelite army, it says, are all stood still doing nothing, and it's gone on for days, weeks. And that is a picture of what can happen in our lives, that we don't always step into what God has for us or try stuff because we're fearful it might go wrong. I, I, wanna, I can see that in my own life at times, and I want to raise kids who can step through the fear because that's always going to be there, and give it a go. So we try and encourage small steps of courage. So things like this. Someone comes to our house that we don't know, you know, said hi to them. We try and encourage our kids to go and say hello because that takes a little bit of courage. We try and encourage them to try new things, to go to that new club at school where they have to walk into the room and they don't know anyone. We try and encourage them to do it, to give it a go, to try new food, okay, to have a go and not just give up because we want to encourage them to be people who give it a go. Theodore Roosevelt once said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of good deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that in his place shall never be, so his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We want kids to grow up with that kind of spirit. Now notice, these values are to do with character. We live in a world which talks all about externals, about lifestyle, about career. But as a parent, I believe you want to parent towards character more than career. 
I want my kids to do well in vocations, but my priority is to help them grow as a person. Remember, our job is to get them ready to be adults, to help them make good decisions when we are not in the room anymore. And I believe if you can get them to make good decisions and learn those things, then all the vocational stuff will come as a product of that. So begin with the end in mind. Here's the second one. I'm going to say a little bit, and then I'm going to pass back to Sarah. The importance of time. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the end, our ability to parent is hugely dependent on our ability to give time. I, I look back at a message I preached on this about eight years ago, seven years ago, and in my notes it said, our youngest, our oldest is eight years old. Well, now our youngest is eight. And time just, like, travels, doesn't it? Like that. Okay? It is going fast. Just this week I had an email through from Apple wanting to sell me must-have accessories. Okay? Now, friends, there is no such thing as must-have accessories. Like there is no such thing as must-see TV. It doesn't exist. But there is such a thing as must-have time. Time is the commodity when it comes to any kind of relationship, especially parenting. So we've got to get really clear on the time issue if you want to raise a family. And I think that every parent in the room would agree that it's really important that we have quantity and quality time with our kids. But our time is so bombarded. Things fight for our attention. Jobs in the house, paperwork, friends, work, shopping, hobbies, events, extended family. Sometimes even our own children's schedule of clubs and activities can actually stop us having quality time with them. So we have found we have to be really intentional. We have to say no to things so that we prioritize time with them and we have to plan. We have found that if we keep just bolting more and more and more things into our world, in the end it's our kids that get squeezed out. And although they might not verbalize it, our kids really do want and need our attention and time. Now, in Australia recently, they ran an advert where they interviewed some children about who they'd most like to have dinner with. And we're just going to show that to you now. Can I just ask the welcome team to hand around the tissues, please? And you can just dry your eyes. Um, It's not just young kids that want to spend time with their family. Um, MTV recently carried out a survey where they asked over 1,200 Young people between 13 and 24, what makes you happy? And this is what the article said. A worried, weary parent might imagine the answer to sound something like this. Sex, drugs, and a little rock and roll. Maybe some cash, or at least the car keys. It turns out the real answer is quite different. Spending time with family was the top answer given to that open-ended question. So, like I've said, Phil and I are really intentional about a daily and weekly rhythm to spending time with our kids. That's all together and also one-to-one. And we aim to have fun. I mean, our kids won't want to hang out with us if it's just no fun. And as part of the prep for this message, I listened to a fantastic talk by Rick Warren where they interview a whole load of kids about what do you like doing with your family. And the number one thing kids said was playing games, playing board games. And the second thing they said was going to the park. So these things don't have to cost loads of money. It's not Disneyland and Legoland, although those things are great. The simple things actually are really important. So we just wanted to share a couple of things that we do, um, just to hopefully give you some ideas. We haven't got this all together, but these are some of the things we do in our family. Every day we try and have dinner together around the table so that we can talk and listen. 
Um, we read with our kids. Phil is fantastic at this. He, most evenings, will read to one or two. Sometimes it was even three of our kids. Um, there's bundles. There are less bundles now. J-Mac doesn't live with us, but um, there are bundles. Um, on a Saturday night, that's fairly sacred for us. We normally have family time. There's a real emphasis on food. We love food. Um, and there's a, we try and do an activity that we all enjoy. So it might be playing games. It might be watching a film. Sometimes we have kebab club, which is just getting a kebab takeaway. Um, but calling it kebab club just makes it sound a bit better. Um, we've done things like posh nosh night, where we have dressed up and the kids have cooked a different course. We light candles and we put wine glasses on the table to put our drinks in. Just to say the kids don't get to drink wine. Just <laughs> before I lose my job. Yeah. Helpful they clarification. Um, and we also try and get one-to-one -one time with our kids. So yesterday I took my daughter out for the day, which was just such a treat for me to have the day just with her. And if you walk past the cafe on Brownhill Road on certain weekday mornings before school, you'll see Phil normally having a full fry-up with one of his kids. I think especially when you're in a big family, it's that one-to-one time is important just to give them time to talk and you time to listen. We also try and build time around birthdays and Christmas just to, tr to make some traditions because I think traditions help build memories and memories are really important. So can I encourage you, if you're a parent in the room today, to be intentional about spending time with your kids. It's so easy. I, I found when I had little kids to tidy up around them rather than actually playing with them. So whether it's playing a game, whether it's putting on some music and dancing around the kitchen, whether it's reading a story, whether it's going for a milkshake, if time with your kids has been squeezed out, I really encourage you this week just to make time be really intentional. And back to you. Okay, here's another thing we've learnt, and I think this is a, an important principle for all of us. This is this, that what goes in comes out. We live in a world that, we, that deeply cares about kind of how organic our food is, how clean the air is we breathe, you know, what the standard of cleanliness is in the restaurants that we may go and eat at, if we're fortunate that, even has gone into hyperdrive over health and safety reasons, issues. So just recently, I went to some of my kids swimming to a swimming pool near here, okay, for the family splash time, which used to involve floats and things. Well, they have removed all the floats for health and safety reasons. And I'm like, they are the things that keep people afloat, aren't they, in buoyancy? I'm like, they're going to remove the water soon for health and safety reasons on the swimming pool. Okay, so we're deeply concerned about all those things, but sometimes incredibly lax about what we expose and allow our kids to watch and hear. And the truth is, what goes into us will come out of us. So Jesus says in Matthew 6 this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So what we see, what we consume, in the end will affect how we act, and it is very true of our children. So I want to say this. If you are a parent in the room, how many of us are actually parents right now? I've got kids at home. Okay. I want to suggest you've got to get really clear on the issue of screens and technology. Okay? TVs, phones, all those things. Because what you consume, what they see, what they will come out in some way. Now, there is no standard. You've got to do this, this, this. Families have got to work out for themselves. And those of you who are parenting on your own, you have our respect, okay? But I would suggest you find other people as well to bounce ideas off. And about three years ago, Sarah and I decided on this one, we needed to get far clearer because it was a bit of a confusion as our kids grew older. And so we talked to lots of people we knew a bit older than us who had kids a little further on and said, what are you doing about phones and iPads and computers and all that stuff? And in the end, we came up with some, some boundaries, regulations, rules, whatever you want to call them, about technology in our house. 
uh, because for our own sake, we just needed to get clear. And we wrote them up. We talked them through. They didn't all go down hugely popular. You know, didn't win the popularity vote at that moment. And I'm not going to take you all through them, but they're to do with things like mobile phones. Mobile phones in our house have to get left downstairs at nighttime when it's bedtime. We don't have TVs in rooms. Computers are pretty much always used downstairs rather than upstairs. That's just to protect them, to do with social media. What we will or will not post on social media because we just want to protect them because, you know, technology is wonderful. We're not at that end of the spectrum where we ban it all because I think that's a bit weird and very unhelpful because you will breed something else. But we're not at this end of the spectrum where we're just laissez-faire and they can do whatever they like. Okay, so... Uh, what goes in comes out, and uh, particularly on the technology thing, I want to encourage you to really think it through. Okay, the next thing we feel like we've learned on our parenting adventure is the importance of asking for help. In the book of Proverbs, it says that plans go wrong for a lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. And throughout our parenting journey, there have been many, many times when we have gone to other people for advice, and many of those people are in this room right now. And at times, the questions have been more practical. You know, how did you do this? What would you do in this situation? But at other times, we've had to admit that we don't have all the answers, and we've had to be humble, and we've had to ask for help. And it's really not easy being open and vulnerable about your kids because (laughs) I'm going to read this bit so I just get this right. Sharing stuff about our kids can make us feel like a failure because we can think our children's behavior and choices are a reflection on our own ability to parent. But we have honestly found it completely invaluable, and we're really grateful for the friends we have. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of the kind of things we've talked to people about. Recently, I've asked people about how they handle homework and revision, stuff about pocket money. But there have also been much more difficult, tricky things we've walked through. So when we had four little ones under seven, I suppose it was a season when we felt... I suppose, sometimes entrenched in the daily struggle of behavior and boundaries and kind of overwhelmed from the exhaustion of being consistent. And I remember one time just sitting down with some friends and going, this is where we're at. This is all the stuff. And just talking. And they just helped us, I suppose, to order our world a bit. And they didn't give us all the answers, but we walked out of the room feeling like we were back in the driving seat and that we kind of had a plan in place of how we were going to handle the situation we were in. And other times, having friends who I could talk to and who could encourage me to hang on in there and who prayed for me was such a support. And the truth is, no one has a conflict-free family. No one has the perfect kids. No one has the eternally patient parents who know what to do in every situation. It's simply that some people are open and talk about it, and other people, other people don't. So we would really want to encourage you to ask for help when you need it and talk about it with friends. Men especially, we're not very good at asking for help. Um, just recently, very occasionally, I go to a supermarket to shop. I don't know if you have this experience. But when it comes to the checkout, because I'm not that good at packing, what happens is as they start to scan the items, they scan the items quicker than I can pack them. If you've ever had that experience. Okay, so there is like, and everybody behind me, there's this massive queue beginning to form because they wish they had not sit in the queue with me. And there's like a, they can see that I'm enabled to kind of pack the bags properly and I'm getting the wrong things in the wrong bags. And eventually, the checkout person will lift their head and look their eyes at me, and they will ask the question, do you need help with your packing? (laughs) And then before I can answer, because they already know the answer, they press the buzzer of shame. And everybody else who's packing down the aisles turn to look at me and shake their heads 
as some supermarket worker trundles over to help me pack my bags. And as they do that, everybody else goes back to packing, shaking their heads and smiling and just glad that they are not, they're good enough at packing not to have the buzzer of shame. <laughs> we don't like the buzzer of shame. We don't like to ask for help because we feel embarrassed. We feel like we're failing. Um, but actually, the truth is, it is so much better to ask. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think you're going to be a decent parent without asking, to be honest, because we just don't have all the answers. And we hit scenarios that we've never hit before. And you're doing, you're doing this, this, this with these kids, and they're doing this, and you just think, I don't know what to do. So it's so important to be in community and be in friendships where you can go, this is how it is. And you can say it without feeling like you're failing. So do ask for help. Find people you trust and ask them just to tell you what you should do. Okay, here's the next one. Watch your life. 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy and says this. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Okay, parents, children watch you. They watch us. What we, how we live, what we do, what we model is a far more powerful message actually than what we say. You are the message, if you like. Okay, so... It, in other words, if I want my kids to be kind and compassionate and generous, guess what? I need Sarah to be kind and generous and compassionate. Okay. No, we need to be like this. Okay? We need to model this. Otherwise, we totally undermine what we're saying because it's not authentic. How we live is more powerful than what we say. So it's so important that we keep growing. It's so important we don't parent out of our own insecurities. Um, it's so important that my entire identity is wrapped up in my parenting. One day I've got to be able to let them go. You know, my identity as a person does not rise or fall on their success as a person, even though it's very important that I want them to do well. Secondly, here's another one in terms of watching your life. It's one thing to have great plans for your kids and great intentions. It's another thing to have the emotional energy to actually do anything with them. Yeah? It's hard to keep going. And so you've got to build a sustainable life which means that you actually have the energy to implement some of the ideas. Does that make sense? And that's very important. So I want to suggest, as Paul says to Timothy, watch your life. Watch what you're modeling. Watch what you're saying. Watch how you act. And watch that you actually build a lifestyle and a rhythm. There is a reason why God you know, creates the Sabbath. That means that we have the energy to live out the intentions that we have. Lastly, this. One of the most important things we have learned and are still learning is that we need to trust God for our children and trust God for our family. The truth is, we can do all these things, but we don't know quite how it's all going to play out. That's true in all our lives, right? In everything we do. There's a gap, if you like, between our intentions and necessarily the results. We don't know. We can't affect everything. We don't have control of everything. And it's in the gap where you have to trust God that he does know. So we just want to talk a little bit about trust. Sometimes being a parent can be really painful. It can be painful if your child makes bad decisions or chooses the wrong path, you know, or if your relationship becomes strained. And, and other times it's painful just because storms come to them. In Matthew 5.45, it says, Storms come to those who do right and wrong. And the truth is, sometimes storms come to our children. They get ill. They're lonely. They have a loss of a friendship, there's conflict, they might have learning challenges. And we often wish we could stop the storms, apart from chickenpox. I didn't want to ever take that for my kids. I was happy for them to do that one themselves. Um, but when I've walked through seasons like that, um, I found it really important to remember that God loves my kids even more than I do. He cares for them 
even more than I do, and he has a plan for them. And also, I found it helped to remember that I'm not supposed to be all they need. Actually, ultimately, they need the love and care of their heavenly father. I'm not supposed to meet all their needs. Um, during difficult times, um, being able to turn to God as a source and strength and my provider has been so precious to me. Um, and during one season of my life, I remember just singing this song, which you'll see on the screen now. I'm going to read the words to you. It says, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And the, that truth really held me. There were times when I would just be in the car singing that crying. But I knew he was my strength. He is my rock. And I needed to remind myself. I needed to trust his wisdom. And I could trust him to be my source and my hope and my strength. And I've re also found it really helpful to remember that I don't have the whole picture. I have a really limited vantage point and that he does have the whole picture. Um, in the summer, I was reading this book. I'd love to recommend it to you, whether you... Um, it, well, it's called The Life You Never Expected, Thriving While Parenting Special Needs Children, and it's by Andrew and Rachel Wilson, who will be with us next week. Um, it's a fantastic um, book and a bit of their story in here, but there's one bit that really encouraged me. It's in a chapter called The Storyteller. So I'm just going to finish by reading this to you. And this is something Rachel writes. I am not the storyteller, so I have to remember the story is not mine to save. The pressure to write a story that makes sense of what has happened to us, as acute as it can feel, must be resisted. God is the great storyteller, the divine happy ending maker, and I'm not. I am a character in God's story, not the author of my own, and it is God's responsibility to redeem all things, to make all things work together for good. It is only when I find my place in the giant story that he is writing and come to terms with its twists and turns that I can lean back in the knowledge that it is my father's job to redeem or to make right all things, not only in a nuclear family, but in every single thing that the curse of sin has touched or tarnished. So we want to just end by praying. We're aware, obviously, lots of guests here today. It's great having you in your room. You are very welcome. You may not be used to church. You may not even believe in God. And so, but we'd love to pray for anybody who'd like us to pray today. So uh, maybe if we, we could all stand, that'd be okay. And then we're just going to, I'm going to read you a passage from uh, 2 Corinthians 9. And this is a great verse to be, to hold on to, uh, not just as a parent, but today, I guess, as a parent particularly, if you're a mum, especially on a day like today, and it says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. If you're a parent in the room, I'd love to pray for you. So if, you just, if you'd like to, you can lift your hands. If you're not comfortable with that, don't do that at all. But I'm just going to pray along the lines of this verse, and maybe the band can come up at the same time. God, we thank you so much for your promise that grace is available to us. And so I pray, God, for every parent in this room. We pray for every person who has the responsibility to raise families or involved in raising kids. And we pray for energy and grace for them to do the best they can. We pray, God, that you'd surround them 
they protect our children, help us to raise godly, strong, resilient, vibrant kids. And we pray for your grace to be on every parent in this room. I pray, God, also for every mum or dad here who today feels a bit sad about where the story is right now. And we pray for your comfort. We thank you that you know that you're bigger, God, than even our disappointments. And so we pray for your grace for them as well. We ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.